Okay, those of you staying here, let's take our Bibles. Let's head over to Genesis chapter 1 as we get started. Genesis 1. As, um, as we have been talking about in this class, what we're talking, dealing with is being able to give answers to people when they ask and challenge us. And so some of the things that we've talked about already, the existence of God, the Trinity, is uh, Christ the only way? The, who, was he a real person? How do, we, how do we support the idea he's God, fully human, God repented? There's a topic, and thanks so much, guys. If you didn't get the notes, we raise your hand. You'll want to have these to fill in some blanks. There's um, this past Wednesday in our Wednesday night, we need one up here, please, Pat. In our last, uh, last week's Bible study on Wednesday evening, we had at the last minute uh, to bring the teens in together with the adults because Pastor John got sick with the flu. And so when we were together, I was using an illustration that, that uh, uh, it had to do with sometimes we get desensitized. But we were talking about how TV has changed over the years. Would you agree that it has? Okay, so we're talking about that and we're mentioning about how it used to be they didn't show any bathroom, they didn't show bedrooms, they didn't show you know, a lot of things and the, the wording was different, they were much more cautious and things like that. And I was watching as we were talking about some of the teens were like, really? Really? They didn't even show, they didn't even, you know, for years they didn't use the word pregnancy, on TV. That was a word that was taboo. Um, and so uh, the teams were like kind of surprised. It's interesting when you think about taking somebody in modern day and putting them back a few years, they, they don't realize some of the changes. So I was thinking about that. How has travel changed? If somebody from 75 years ago came and all of a sudden they walked into our community, how has travel changed in 75 years? What's that? Faster? Anything else with travel changing? What's that? No parachute required. What did you say? Air travel has really changed. In travel, oh, right now with COVID, you mean, or all the time? Other other things, how it's changed? What's that? Yeah, yeah. You used to everything was bus and train and things like that. What else? Any? What's that? More cars. Are the cars different? More people afford cars. Has the size of cars changed? Yes, no. Has mileage changed in cars? Has cost changed? Has it changed in a couple years, the cost of, of travel? So I just thought, okay, different things, you know, how it changes. You know, electric cars wasn't even talked about a while back, but interstate road system, which was done you know, a few years back. Let's do this one. How, how has shopping changed? I have no clue because I hate shopping. How has shopping changed in, say, 50 years? Online. Online. What else? Mega stores compared to mom and pop stores? Credit cards? Credit cards? Yeah. Yeah. You can do things over the phone? Yeah. Anything else changed? More choices? No Sunday shopping years ago. Do you remember how George Bush Sr. was criticized in the election years ago? Because he went into a store during his campaign. Anybody remember this? And they took him to task. He was surprised by the scanning system because he, let's, let's face it, does the president go out shopping? No. And so they had to put more and more, and he was saying, this is really amazing. They used that, if you recall, during the campaign about how he was so 
out of touch with, with people. And so even, even that whole system of how you can shop and the whole things, um, I, I know this I, years ago, and you mentioned about credit cards. Years ago in our town, you just had an account. You charged it. You'd go in, charge it, and you'd pay your account. I don't think any, does anybody do that anymore? Because everything's credit card. Okay, let me ask this one. How have houses changed? Insulation has happened? Larger homes? Okay, yeah. Anything else? Some of you are into this industry. Has the cost changed for homes? Yeah, yeah. Anything else? Full house air conditioning. Yeah, for sure. Sure, so you have all these different things. Do you remember how schools used to be? Huge windows. Do you remember that? All these old buildings. And what didn't they care about back then? Heat. You didn't care about heat, but you got the sunlight in. And so all these things have changed. Um, uh, I put down here, because uh, we had an old house when we were here. Our, our, we came in and we bought a house 1970, from, made in 1917, lived there for 30-some years. There was no closets in that house. And there was only one, one bulb per room with one light switch. And so that was some of the projects we did over the year. I tried to make uh, uh, closets. I tried. Okay. Here's education. How has it changed? If somebody 100 years ago was dropped into education today, what might surprise them? Computers? Uh, the, the teaching. The teaching, okay. Okay, even the, the different subjects. Uh, any of you take typing class? When you were in high school? Okay. How has typing changed? What, what did you take typing on? A manual? Manual typewriter. You are old. We're the same. We're about, am I older than you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I remember we took a manual typewriter and a few years back, my daughter called me when she was, she was working at summer at one of the banks, and she says, hey, I got a question. How do you put a piece of paper in a typewriter? <laughs> they didn't know. They didn't know. And it's, so education has changed drastically. That, um, did any of you go to a one-room schoolhouse? Anybody? I did. It was a Christian school. You did too. I was the senior class. She was the junior class. Uh, <laughs> So we have class reunions regularly. So in that from our school days, um, has how has workplaces changed? Okay, ladies in the workforce. Years ago, people worked at home, and then they worked away from home, and now where are we back to? <laughs> yeah, so you have all the difference. I, I put down here: people don't see their paychecks. This is my little pet peeve. This is my pet peeve, okay, is everything is now, yeah, and I think that's terrible from a political, economic point of view, because people don't see how much taxes are taken out, and as a result, they don't see how much taxes are taken out, there's not as much, but if you see the regular paycheck, and you look and go, whoa, they took that much out. It, I think it creates a conservative mentality when it comes to fiscal responsibility. But be that, that's my, that's my little pet peeve. Um, all of this is what we're saying is things change. How have churches changed? 
mega churches, okay. Anything else that you think church has changed? Okay, music has changed, but yeah. What else? Online services. Have pews changed? Have the facilities changed? Yeah. What do you have to have in a church anymore that we didn't care about years ago? Air conditioning, okay. Um, different things like that. So the services, oh, it used to be years ago, and some of us never lived in that time, but it used to be that you hear about churches, they have revival meetings, they would last two weeks, three weeks, and people, would, people frequently come up and would say, how come we don't have a two-week revival meeting like they used to? Well, culture has changed, Okay, years ago when you had those revival meetings, they were the enter. They, I don't mean to be um, um, disrespectful. They were the entertainment for the whole two-week period. There wasn't as much going on in the community, and so you have a variety of different things that have changed. Um, years ago, you didn't have. I mean, I'm talking years ago. You didn't have multiple services on Sundays because travel, travel. Okay, and then we did multiple services, and then, you know, there's a shifting of some of that. A lot more translations. Years ago, you didn't have, you know, that was a forbidden instrument in churches. Organs were forbidden in churches. Okay, in the 1800s, you could not, you did not have an organ in the church because organs were used in the, the theater halls and things like that. And so, you know, all these things changes. And so when you're dropped into a culture, you and I might look back and say, ooh, and, and we might judge uh, uh, communities, churches, the, we might judge things based upon what we know. Does that ever happen? Well, for instance, we look back and say, saying that an organ is wrong in a church? How silly. But we live in a totally different culture. Yes, no? Does that, make, does that not make sense? Okay. The, the, what I'm getting at is this. Um, change is challenging. Also this. Not all change is bad. Is the electronic uh, uh, revolution, evolution of, of say, cell phones. Are cell phones all bad? What's that? Eighty <laughs> percent. Do you use them? But see, you use them the right way, right? We we all do. We all do. But I'm saying that we, you know, you know, I I can condemn people for the way they use cell phones, but in my mind, I always use them right, and I know that's not true. Okay, so, but the point is, is the is some of the technology is it good? Okay, it's good. Has it helped us to present the gospel? You said, Jay, live streaming. Can, can live streaming be negative to a church? Yeah, because what happens? Yeah, people get comfortable. Can live stream be a positive for a ministry? Yes. Yes, and so, you, you know, that balance. Um, cultural techni- technical change, it's inevitable too fast in, at times. But it's harder for new generations to understand what it was like. Talk to a young person and say, when I was growing up, we had three TV channels. Okay. Talk to a young person and say, we had records. Okay. What's that? Yeah, they're coming, yeah, nostalgic. Everything, everything. There's nothing new under the sun. But, but it's hard for some people to understand that. Years ago, a cell phone was about as big as a huge purse. 
Okay? And it's hard for people to understand. And for us to, to make comments sometimes about those things, we just don't understand. We're not there. It's dangerous to judge and criticize previous generations based on what we know. For instance, what I mean by this is, is an illustration. We look back and we say medical treatments were very archaic. But at that time, they were modern and they were growing. And they were, yeah, and research and development. So it's, it's very hard to, I think it's unwise, to make judgments based upon p- taking our culture and our knowledge and imposing it on people years ago and saying they were, they were ignorant. They were, a lot of those people were advancing. People years ago were intelligent. Um, yes, we have great medical advancements, but I always want, how did people figure out all the herbs and all the medications from plant life? It took, it, it, it took really smart people to figure this out, to come up with natural things. This goes in the same way about worship, that like in church, that we, we would judge churches from years ago without appreciating the culture they were going in. What I'm getting at is this idea. Is it happening in America right now in our culture that we are judging people of history past based upon our modern experiences? Is it happening a lot? Okay. So one of the big issues that's happening a lot is the issue of slavery. And what is, what is the result of judging that? that and, and, and none of us are going to say slavery was good. Right? We all know it was, a, it was a blemish on American society. And it was a tragedy. But what is, what is happening today? We're saying that anybody in past American history who, who did not violently oppose slavery, they were evil. And what are we taking out of that equation? Not we, but people doing that. What are they totally removing? Context context. And the reason that, that it's dangerous is uh, for us. The reason it's dangerous is we're going to get into this discussion more and more. But churches are going to be attacked. Okay, it's the political system right now. So when you go to Williamsburg right now, you see a whole different philosophy and questioning those individuals who used to be our, we used to call them heroes. We used to think Columbus was heroic. But now he's what? He's accused of genocide and, and, and all those types of things. But they'll still take Columbus Day off of work. Um, be that as it may. Um, so this whole discussion you know, is, is going to lead to an attack on your Bible. Because does the Bible openly condemn slavery? In fact, it tells slaves to obey their masters. And I think that's a Bible difficulty. How do we respond to that? Now, I know this, number one, we will never respond to the satisfaction of some people. I understand that. But I really think that if, and we're going to do some history study today, and we're not going to do a, a typical passage, but I want to do a social aspect, I want to give you information that if you can respond intelligently about your Bible and, and clearly, that if you're talking to somebody who is open to discussing this, you will be able to answer why doesn't the Bible do what we wish it would do today. And yet, in a way, the Bible really did but it's not perceived that way.
So let's, let's go through some of this discussion. And where we started last week, I just want to review that there are different groups, including Christian churches, Bible-believing churches, good churches, that said that according to Genesis 9, where there was the curse of, uh, they call it the curse of Ham, when Noah was, was drunk in stupor, that uh, all of a sudden it says that Ham saw his nakedness. Ham went out, talked to his brothers. His brothers walked backwards with a blanket. They laid it over Dad. And then when Dad woke, he knew what his youngest had done, and he curses him that he would, and three times says, you're going to be a slave, you're going to be a slave, you're going to be a slave, to the others. Some have taken that to say that that curse, and they call it the curse of Ham. They say that Ham was the, was the uh, um, what would be the word, the, the um, first one in the, in the line of a lot of, of black people. And so where his children and descendants went, that covers a lot of the black race. Therefore, they were condemned at that point. They were cursed to go into slavery. That justified slavery of the blacks. And we pointed out this. We pointed that, that this curse uh, really wasn't directed to Ham. Who was the one that got cursed by Noah? Do you remember? It was the grandson Canaan. He, he, he curses Canaan. But Canaan isn't mentioned as the one that sees his nakedness. But I think he is mentioned. This is, this is my interpretation of the passage. When it says that the youngest son or descendant. Son doesn't necessarily have to mean the next generation. It could be, biblically speaking, Preston can be my son. He's my grandson. But he's my son. Okay, in that broader sense. And Ham is not listed as the, as the youngest. He's listed as the second. And so Canaan is mentioned just before the story is told. And Canaan may have been the youngest descendant at that point. And I think that's who it is. Because why would he condemn Ham? You know, um, for, for, you know why is Ham, uh, Ham condemned? Or why is, excuse me, why does he condemn Canaan for something Ham had done? So it seems to me that Canaan is the, is the culprit. Canaan did something, and so he is then the one that's cursed, and we all know the Canaanites are extremely immoral. And so in my, under, my thinking is he knew what Canaan had not seen, but what he had done is, I think, implied is the possibility. And I don't know if I, I'm, I'm reading in between lines that he may have done something inappropriate to his grandfather. And that was very typical of his succeeding generations like Sodom and Gomorrah are part of the Canaanites. And so what happens, my whole point is, it wasn't a curse against black people. It was a curse against one group who ended up being a little darker skinned, but they were, they were olive skinned. It's the group, the tribal peoples of Canaan, not a whole race of black people. And so with that in mind, according to the Bible, we pointed out that everyone is a descendant of Adam and Eve, but then it grows, it, it expands and comes back down to Noah and his family. And so therefore all people, you know, for those who are really prejudiced and anti-black or even anti-Jewish, here's a, here's a revelation to them. We're all related. We're all related. Okay, Eve was the mother of all living, and God, it says God has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. We made this comment as well. We are equally made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, let's start there, and there's another text that we want to look at that's very interesting in this light. Genesis chapter 1, it says God made man in what? 
Okay, in his image, okay? Chapter 1, verse 27, in the image of God created he them, male and female. Does the image of God show up at all? You, you and I might respond and say, okay, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. But did that image of God continue? How do you know that? Is there another text that indicates that that image of God wasn't just limited to Adam and Eve, that people possessed? Other people besides Adam and Eve. Okay? But that doesn't say that they had the image of God. There's another text that indicates generations, successive generations, had the image of God. Do you remember where? Genesis 9. There it is. There it is. Thank you, Julie. Genesis 9. Genesis 9. Jump over to where we're at. And in Genesis 9, this is post-flood. When they came off the ark, God is establishing the idea of, remember how, how violent the world had become before the flood? God authorizes the, the social punishment of capital punishment. He authorizes it to stop the evil. Okay, we call it the beginning of human government. And he says in Genesis 9 verse 6, Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Capital punishment. Why? Notice the rest of the verse. For in the image of God made he... Okay, which is implying capital punishment is justified because they have attacked the image of God. In, successive, in, in attacking somebody else. That successive generations still possess that aspect of the image of God as in the initial creation. So all people possess that. All people, all generations continued. We have common enough, and we, we belab- belabored it. I'm repeating it. For some of you, you say, you just did this last week. I know, but I want to make sure we get it. We are a, actually one race, not multiple races, biblically speaking. Biblically speaking, God did use the idea of humanity or mankind to talk about everybody, but then he did say there was distinctions, and when God talks about distinctions, he uses this terminology, nations and tribes and tongues. He doesn't say different bloods. He says that we are all one blood. We are, in in just strict biblical terminology, we are one race, but a lot of different nations, tongues, and tribes. And so that, that's true, proven true by the fact that people of different you know, distinctions can, can cohabitate and they can procreate. Procreation isn't limited to one color of skin, is it? Okay, so that means that we are of one species, one kind. The words that are used in the beginning of Genesis. We're all of one, one race of people. And yet that terminology, races, and I might bring it up and I might use it because it's become so common in our tongue, okay, in that sense that we talk about races, uh, but we understand. We're all saying we're, we're in actuality, we are one race. Okay. And, and I mentioned this last week, I'll bring it up again in case you weren't here. That whole terminology of multiple races was promoted in the middle 1800s and following with what teaching? Darwinism or evolution. Okay. That's when that terminology of multiple races came into play. And that was trying to, trying to justify what was going on in the world as a whole. 
slavery was at its peak. And as a result, it was part of those who believed in that evolution. They weren't opposed to slavery. They were, why? Because survival of the fittest. Okay, and so that, that part of that teaching was really promoted in some of that uh, that garbage theology. Therefore, we are only one human race to which we all belong. So we asked the question, where do the physical differences come? Okay, and we said there's a couple possibilities. The possibilities were this. Adam and Eve possessed all the racial distinctions you know, they had within their gene pool, they had that they, they could pass on possible characteristics of light or dark, curly, bald, long hair, thick hair, uh, different eye sets, different facial features, nose, mouth, whatever, that they had that within their genetic pool, and all of a sudden, they started just randomly showing up. Okay, that's a possibility. The other possibility is Noah's daughter-in-laws, and some suggest this, that each one of the three daughter-in-laws were, one was black, one was Asiatic, and one might have been whatever. Okay, and those daughter-in-laws possessed that, and therefore, as they had children after they were off the ark, then they, then they propagated the different races because of the three daughters who basically just randomly had some of those distinctions. There is another discussion, I think, this makes a whole lot of sense. The Tower of Babel had a play in it. Um, Luke was mentioning, Luke Gaidas was telling me that he had picked up one of these books. It's called The Tower of Babel, uh, The Cultural History of Our Ancestors by Bodie Hodge. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the uh, who we get this through. Um, Answers in Genesis. Thank you. Thank you. Um, that they promote, they have this on their website. He said it's, um, what's that? Amazon has it as well. He said, you said this really developed these, the, uh, this idea really with a lot, of, a lot of information about it. Tower of Babel, Bodhi, B-O-D-I-E, Hodge. Um, anyway, the Tower of Babel, that could have played into this racial distinctions, as they're called and known today. And that's understandable because what could have happened is, um, you know, after, after the flood, these get distinct because God could have immediately could have immediately all of a sudden put into the human race some of these racial distinctions at that moment because he was dividing people by language. He may have also, which to change their language, he was, in, he was affecting them physically, mentally, for them to all of a sudden immediately speak another tongue, understand another tongue. He could have changed features. And then as they gathered together into their subgroup, then all of a sudden those features became predominant in successive generations, and the gene pool narrowed. Uh, That's a possibility. The possibility is there wasn't anything physically done by God immediately, but just the fact that people are getting into subgroups where their language and they're cohabitating all of a sudden different uh, characteristics, the skin tone, the color of hair, all of a sudden your genetic pool is narrowed down and it's repeating the same things with, and I don't mean in a bad way, but within breeding of that group that is of the same tongue, all of a sudden that became the norm. Or the possibility is some of the people were responding to their environment. And we pointed out chart-wise that uh, different peoples close to the equator, a whole lot more of the darker skin are there and because of the benefits of white skin lights, dark skin in different regions of the world. And so that could be what we would call, okay, microevolution within adaptation, which there's nothing wrong, nothing theologically um, 
it doesn't violate to say that people can adapt. And there could be, there could be within species, all of a sudden a narrowing. And uh, it's not that whole idea that, that God has taken out of the picture. Or it's a combination of all those things. And we pointed out that even in animals, we know that as they, as they are developing animals, that all of a sudden subclasses become a breed because of this limited breed, uh, uh, genetic pool. And so same thing could have happened in the human race. With that in mind, our whole point comes down to this. We are one race with multiple variations. We are all possessing the image of God. We are all related historically. There is no one group inherently created by God or in any... There's no one group that is superior or inferior. That all of a sudden, okay, all white people are much smarter than all Asiatics. There's nothing inherently there. You can't support that biblically. You can't support it even scientifically. Uh, but then again, modern days, anything goes for science, right? Okay. Um, with that, yet some still insist they are superior in some way. Is that true? Do some groups still insist that we're superior? Okay. How do you respond as a Bible believer in this sense, and we'll start here, and then we're going to talk about the slavery issue. Okay, how do you respond to prejudice? Is it okay or is it wrong? How do you define superiority? Okay, I'm going to do that in this next comment, in the next slide, because I think that's critical. Okay, but, um, you know, okay, now that you introduced it, we'll jump into it. Okay, because this is important. This is important, okay? When we talk about prejudice, okay, um, we need to... We need to we need to define what is prejudice and what is recognizing what God has established as superior, inferior, in order. Okay? That's where you were, you were wondering, right? So with this idea, is it wrong for us to be prejudiced? We have to define it, okay? Yeah, with this, prejudice is, and this is how I'm defining it for our discussion, a personal bias whether unfavorable or favorable towards or against a person or group of people based merely upon my personal preferences. Because who has become the authority? In this, in this comment, who's become the authority? Okay, okay. It's a feeling of superiority based upon things like color, based upon education, money, position, even salvation. Can Christians feel superior to other people because we have Christ and they don't, therefore I want nothing to do with those people? Can we, can we violate Scripture and have that attitude? Okay, at the same time, is there supposed to be a separation? Yes? Is there to be isolation? No. Okay, and so that's what we're talking about. Some of this gets a little bit hairy. Most often it is portrayed in an unfavorable bias. It is often portrayed by a lack of respect towards, a ridicule of, a rejection of, such as all of a sudden I could make this comment. All ladies are less intelligent than any man. Is that a fact? If you want trouble, say yes. <laughs> okay. Is that a personal preference that leads to a bias that sounds like prejudice? Yes. Okay. Um, 
So we, we have to be careful here because it is not, it is not recognizing and responding with respect and grace to what God has inherently created as differences, conditions or positions where God has created an orderly system where there is to be a subordinate and there is to be leadership. Give me an institution where that is. Marriage. Okay, what, is, what has God inherently put into the system of marriage where it isn't total equality? The husband is to be the head of the house. Wives are supposed to be submit, to submit. Can that be abused? Okay, okay. But who created this? Who created this order? Is it prejudice, therefore, to say husbands be the leaders, wives be the followers? Is that based on prejudice? No. But will it be interpreted that way in this modern society? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I told you the story that the, somebody here wanted to get married in some other church a couple of years ago, and they said you can use the church as long as the preacher will not make any comments about the husband being the head of the home in the ceremony. And then, so I had to talk to the pastor to find out, and he said, are you one of those archaic prejudiced preachers that believes that the husband is to be the leader of the home and the wife is to be the follower? And my response was, yes. He said, well, what percentage of leadership? I, I don't know. It really depends upon the couple, but if you want me to give you a percent, it's like 5149. Okay? And he found that absolutely reprehensible. I'm not going to change his mind. I understand I'm not going to change his mind. But I'm going to hold to that view because who established that order? It's not prejudice, but who, under, who, who established that order? God did. God did. Okay. So that's not prejudice. We understand all are equal in worth and value. By the way, is there in a church system, is there... Is there an orderly system where some are to submit to others? Who submits? Okay. Who's, who, okay, the Lord is overall. On a human level, who is supposed to, who are supposed to submit to who? We submit to one another. You do in marriage too. Okay. But in the church, boy, we hesitant on this one. Okay. Okay, is the flock supposed to have a form of submission to the pastor? Yes, yes. yes. Can that be abused? Yes. Are we hesitant to even want to talk about that? Yes. yes, yes. We all are. I am too. I am too. But in the orderly system, does that mean that just because I, I'm in that leadership position, I'm better than you? Has that been taken that way in some churches? Yes, okay. But, um, and the same thing happens in your workplace. What does God tell you to do in your workplace? Okay, there's supposed to be orderliness. Does it happen in government? Is there supposed to be a submission to government? Okay, and, and, and can that be abused? Not in America, but can it be abused? Okay, okay so we know that. And, it, and we're not saying... Okay, let's, we're not saying that the President of the United States is of greater worth as an individual than any of us. We're not saying that. 
Okay? But in his position, should we respect him? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Not all, not all and, and as well, not all of us are equal in abilities, assignments, achievements, or authority. We know that's true. We don't all have the same, in the church, we don't all have the same what? Gifts, okay? And so we understand that there's going to be distinction, but that doesn't mean just because somebody can hold a note and I can't. That doesn't mean that, therefore, they are superior in value than me and those of you who can't sing. Right? It just means that when it comes to singing, they're going to be the ones up there, not me. Okay? And we recognize our weaknesses, our strengths. That, that's not prejudice. That's just plain. I, uh, we have friends that when they, I'll get, they're, they're, they were really upset about some of the masking. And so the sign on the door where they were going in said, you know, unless you have, you know, you have to be masked unless you have some type of affliction. And so she was in the store. She didn't wear a mask. She was approached by the manager, and she said, I'm sorry, but I have CS. And the manager said, oh, okay, okay. Had no idea what she meant by CS. She meant, I have common sense. <laughs> Whether I agree or not on how she handled it, it was funny. It was funny. And everybody in the store, when she got up to the counter, the clerk looked and she said, oh, you're the one with CS. You know, and it was like, yeah, yeah, I have CS. <laughs> um, God assigned roles even between genders and God assigned difference in cultural class things. To recognize and operate, I think this is where you were driving at, right? To recognize and operate accordingly with respect to those differences. Okay. Let's, in our home, I'm supposed, and this, this sounds terrible, I'm supposed to be the leader, okay, and Deb is to follow. Because I'm in a leadership position, does that mean I can disrespect her? No, no, that would be sin on my part, okay. So recognizing those differences that God has put in, that, that's, that's, that's not prejudice by what we're talking about. The world will still accuse us. We're not going to be able to change some people's point of view. But that's not prejudice. What we're talking about is prejudice that is based upon just a preference that you just don't like something or about somebody who's different than you. And you develop an attitude. Why is that type of prejudice wrong? Give me biblical reasons. Why is, why is just prejudice based upon they speak a different language than me, therefore they're bad? What's that? Love each other? Okay. Multiple passages. Multiple passages. Why else? Give me an illustration where Christ was not a respecter of persons. The woman at the well. Okay. Any others? The lepers. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. They, they were invited. Even the lowliest of class was invited to the manger scene. Can you think of other reasons why we shouldn't be prejudiced? What's that? We're all created in God's We're all in the image of God. God loves everyone. God loves everyone. Okay. Somebody was piping up back here. Right. 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 Excellent. Yes, sir. Okay. 
does, do, with what you just said, Charlie, is, does the Bible ever say God is prejudice? Does it say the opposite? He is no respecter of persons. Comes up several times. Okay. Um, let, let's just, these, these are so simple. You've answered, but let me just fill in your blanks. Jesus clearly taught against the common forms of accepted prejudice. In his day, who was the biggest prejudice labeled that? Okay. The Pharisees were against basically anybody not like them. Okay. Uh, was there any racial prejudice going on in Jesus' day? The Samaritans and the Jews. Okay, so he, uh, Jesus, Jesus did something that the Jews were just shocked by. He commends a Gentile for his faith. We have the Samaritan. We have the love your enemies. The cleansing of the temple. Oh, the cleansing of the temple. What was? Who was he defending? Do you, do you remember why that? Why that's so important? Um, he was defending God's house, but in particular, what human, group of people? You're saying Gentiles. Yeah, in the back part of the temple where that bazaar was going on, it, let's say it's our foyer, that area where it was going on, the Jews alone would be allowed in this area. The Gentiles had to be in that area, and as a result, the Gentiles didn't have a place to worship. I mean, who wants to worship when there's animal dung and you know, noises and all that? You, you couldn't worship. And so it was really, they were, they, were, um, they were upsetting that whole idea of being a, a witness to all people. So you have judge not according to appearances. Jesus made that comment. Number two, some of you said Jesus died for all men without exception. And there's multiple passages that he was the propitiation of the sins of the whole world. Not just one group of people. Um, he encouraged the gospel to be carried to all nations without exception. Okay. In fact, we're to go into all the world, okay? And that's some of the times the difficulty for us, to preach to every creature. Number three, God's Word further made it clear that God has no prejudice when it comes to dealing with people. He is not partial in any way. He sees no distinction between the Jew and the Greek in the sense of wanting to be their Lord and blessing them, wanting to give them salvation. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is accepted to him, so God himself is not, is not partial, um, prejudice, excuse me, he's not prejudistic in that sense. Okay, number five, we'll put prejudice as clearly discouraged in the church. Multiple passages that says when it comes to uh, being gifted, when it comes to being saved, when it comes to who can become a part of the church, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. By one spirit we're baptized and we have the Holy Ghost within us. Uh, again, he says there is there is no distinction between all those things that are typically cast up because Christ is all in all. Uh, Jesus basically dwells within what group of people? Us, let's say, any person who is born again. Okay, anybody who's born again. Uh, in the past, Gentiles, alien strangers, but he has broken down the petition that has divided people. Uh, he says, are you not partial in your church services when you favor the rich people and others? And he says, you shouldn't be doing that because the royal law is love one another even as yourself. Observe those things without preferring one another. And he's talking about in the local church, doing nothing by partiality or prejudice. And again, that doesn't take away the idea 
of orderliness in the church. And here we're going to talk about this, not this week, but next. In the church, is, is there a limitation to genders in a church organization? Yes. Does it sound like it's prejudice when we say ladies aren't supposed to be preachers? In modern America, is that considered being prejudiced? Yes. But we're not basing it upon a partiality against women. We're saying... God has said, ladies aren't supposed to be preached. I'll show you why next week when we get to that. Okay, and so we're making those distinctions. And yet, just because the ladies can't be the preacher, does that mean ladies have no value in a church? No. No. Can they contribute? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, just tremendous. Number six, prejudice is based on a form of pride and self-elevation. We all know what we're warned multiple times in Scripture. We're warned to stop being proud. And we all struggle with it. Okay? And he's saying, hey, don't, don't, don't have that mind. Have the mind of Christ. Esteem others better than yourselves. Be kindly affectionate one to another. It keeps on going back to what you said, brother. How many of these passages are based on love? Right? Yeah, and love uh, over and over and over again. Uh, that it's, we're supposed to not be proud individuals. And so then we ask, and I ask, this, is, this was for me to pause and to reflect. For me. Okay, that say, okay, I don't think, I don't want to be, I don't want to be prejudiced in the sense of a personal bias against color or against education or based upon money. Um, I don't want to be that way. And so I say, okay, I've got to ask myself questions like, do I make critical snide jokes, statements based upon people's skin tone, nationality? Do I avoid speaking to people who have a different hair length than I have? which is a whole lot of people, okay? Do I have, do I assume the worst about people just based upon how they're dressed? For instance, we ran over to Lowe's yesterday, okay, because we were picking, I was in the middle of the project. When you go out to the store in the middle of a project, gentlemen, ladies, how do you dress? Do, do, you, do you stop and get dressed up to go out in public? You don't? You go in your, in your sloppy clothes. I was doing some spackling, so my clothes had spackling all over. Okay. Do you think I changed my clothes? Because I might run into somebody I know at Lowe's. And I want to look my best. Anybody think I did? No, and she stayed an aisle away from me. Just because of the embarrassment. The holes and the things. Okay, okay, we, a lot of us do that. In different cultures, is that... That um, Troy and Roxana, Oksana, Manning, the missionaries that do the Bible, uh, Bible, Bible translations ministries. She's from uh, Ukraine in that area, or Hungary nationally. She says, I cannot believe how many Americans go to the store dressed sloppy. And she says that was her culture shock. Americans go to the store in grubbies. Go to Walmart. You've never seen pajamas like you see in Walmart. Okay, you just, and she would just find it. She would, you know, and that was their thing as a couple. He said, every time I just want to go and run and get some, she says, you've got to change before you go out. And so, um, you know, that, okay, so I think to myself, somebody isn't dressed real nice. There are times I'm not dressed real nice. Okay? But is it easy to just say, I'm going to stay away from them. 
Is it easy to do that? Yeah, okay. So do you resist associating with people who are different? Do you feel you're superior because of color and finances? And I want to think, I want to think that I'm doing okay. But I've got to be on my guard all the time. Does that anybody else feel that way? You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. It's easy to do that, even in a local church. So if the Bible was, you know, spoke against prejudice... The question we're going to be getting more and more is, why didn't the Bible speak more vehemently against slavery? And the, and the discussion is going to go this way. Um, why didn't the Bible, why didn't, why didn't the early American, um, why, why didn't Washington and Jefferson, why didn't they, if they believed in equal rights, why didn't they speak more against slavery? And because they didn't, they're no longer American heroes. So same idea, okay, our Bible, realistically, our Bible at first glance appears to be promoting slavery. And so why isn't our Bible, how can you follow that? And I'm going to start off with this statement, because I don't have time to develop. It is a huge mistake to assume slavery in American history and slavery in the Bible were the same thing. It's a huge historical mistake. Does the Bible condemn what the type of slavery that was in America? Clearly, clearly, it states you are not to be, do you know what the term is used? Men stealers. That shows up in a couple different passages. You are not to be men stealers. That was American slavery because they stole people. Yes, no? They stole people from their homes and sold them based solely on the skin color. That was forbidden in Scripture, clearly. But does the Bible then turn around and say, if you have a system of slavery, there are certain rules to follow? It did. So how do we, how do we get the two together? i got to stop. We'll deal with it next week. It's very interesting to see how the Bible addresses and makes a distinction to what we are trying to impose upon ancient based on modern thought. Thanks for listening.